Good morning, everyone. It is my privilege to be here reading the Bible for you today. So before I read the Bible, let's just again quickly bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've given us in the Bible. Help us to listen. Help us to learn. May you speak into our lives today. Amen. So we have two readings this morning. The first is from Psalm 16, which Paul mentioned a bit earlier. And I'm just going to read to you the second half of that psalm. So verses 8 to 11. This is a psalm of David. I will always keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Our second reading comes from the New Testament. It's a continuation of our, ser our series on John. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the tomb had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the temple first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, why, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jewish leaders, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Christ is risen. Uh, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, My name's Adrian. It's really good to see you here. Uh, we are going to look at John 20, and you can, I think it's in your outline actually, the whole passage, so you can follow along there. But Easter Sunday, it's about life. It's about life. And so, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, what makes a full life? You can try and think of that in your head right now, what makes a full life? I actually have a few options on the screen. Uh, this might make a full life. Good friends, be full life. Happy family, no COVID, yes please. Uh, fit and healthy lives, financial security, in-depth knowledge, unlimited screen, five, screen time with super fast Wi-Fi, maybe only for some in this room, uh, perfect hol- holidays, satisfying work, or less work and more play, a virtuous life, making a difference, leaving a legacy. I, I think that list could go on and on and on, uh, and I just wonder for you, what makes a full and good life? Jesus made a massive claim. He made a massive claim that life, full life, good life, eternal life, is found in knowing God and in knowing Him. And we're going to find out why as we go through this passage today. But I think the thing is, no matter how you define what a full life is, a full life is pretty hard to get at. There are personal fears to overcome, there is hard work to be done, there are difficult people to engage with, There are outside forces that disrupt what could be a full life. And of course, there's death. Death brings an end to life. Death brings an end to all that is good. And we even see that in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent from God. He was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. And as we read the eyewitness account of Jesus' life, we see what life truly is. Jesus beautifully obeyed the Father. He taught truth. He made the sick well. He fed the hungry. He opened blind eyes. He even raised the dead. Life kind of flew.
flowed out of Jesus. But death ended his life. The wonderful news we celebrate today is that death was not the end. Jesus was raised to life and his resurrection has impacted all of history. Millions, billions even, have followed him, suffered for him and found life in his name. It's not the sort of full life that I had on the screen, all of those things kind of centred on us. The life Jesus offers and that many millions have received finds its centre in God and in Jesus. And it's a good life, it's a full life, it's eternal life, it's life where death does not have the final say. Uh, and so today there's three things that we're gonna, I'm going to encourage you to do in order to receive a good and full life that endures for eternity. And the first thing to do is to see the empty tomb. Uh, I don't know, sometimes you see something on, and on first look it's a little hard to believe. Here is some famous people that I would like to meet on the screen. Uh, and I realise that these are very much 40-year-old famous people. Uh, I apologise, I forgot who was in the room. And they're really foxy-scented. I guess maybe not all of these people are that famous to you. But if I saw any of these people just walking through Chatswood, uh, for example, if I just happened to see someone who looked like Ed Sheeran, I would look once and then I'd probably look again just to make sure that I, I really had seen him in order to believe. And I think that's sort of what happens on the first Easter Sunday. Because in John's account, three people see the empty tomb, but it's only on the third look that one of them sees and believes. First, we have Mary Magdalene. She's a follower of Jesus, and she came to the tomb early. It was dark. The darkness probably matches her mood. I can imagine her kind of moving relatively slowly with her head down, grieving the loss of her friend. But then as she arrived, she saw that the stone, the stone that closed up the tomb, had been taken away. And that's all she sees at that point, a stone rolled away. And maybe out of a lack of faith or maybe out of overwhelming fear, she concludes that the body of the Lord has been taken away, possibly by Jesus' enemies, possibly by grave robbers. So once, while there was a scene of mourning, now there is a scene of panic and she runs. She runs to tell two of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter and John, who is referred to as the other disciple in our story today. And just as Mary ran, now they run and they run towards the tomb and John reaches the tomb. And what does he do when he gets there? Does John go in? He looks in, but he doesn't go in. He kind of stoops at the threshold and looks in and he sees linen cloth lying there. Finally, Simon Peter arrives and at last, someone enters the tomb. And what does he see? Verse 6 to 7. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. This is not what you'd expect if Jesus' body had been stolen. After Jesus died, his body had been taken to the tomb by two men, Joseph and Nicodemus. They placed his body in the tomb and wrapped it in linen. And then a separate cloth was used for Jesus' face. If there were grave robbers involved or the body had been taken by enemies, surely they would have acted quickly. They would not have unwrapped the body and then left the linen there. And surely they would not have separated the face cloth and then folded it and put it in place, like one might do the laundry. If anything, there would be no cloth in the tomb or the tomb would be a complete mess as the robbers would have moved in haste. But when Jesus, Peter enters the tomb, he sees an empty tomb with strips of linen lying there and a faith cloth rolled up and separate. 
The evidence points towards something far more significant than a body being stolen. I read this week a fairly balanced summary on the resurrection, uh, considering not just this evidence, but much more, and this is what this man, Ben Shaw, wrote. When you survey the historical sources that we have on Jesus' resurrection, whether Christian, Jewish, or Roman, they all at least point in the direction of a real resurrection. I'm not saying that all the historical evidence we have on the subject proves the resurrection, but it certainly stacks up in favour of it. And so now, after seeing the empty tomb in its fullness, there's no longer panic, there's something new. In verse 8, John, who was still outside, enters the tomb, and when he sees, he believes. We're not told what he believed, but it's safe to say, seeing the tomb empty confirmed that Jesus was God's promised one who did not see decay. That Jesus was God's ultimate king who was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. That Jesus was from above and he was bringing life to those who would believe. On seeing the empty tomb, John believed. And that's our first step as well. See the empty tomb. Easter 2022. Easter 22. Uh, Just don't let this moment pass you by. Life is busy. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to think about. It's sometimes quite hard to just get some space to reflect. But here you are, Easter Sunday, with a moment to reflect on the biggest moment in all of history. See the empty tomb. Weigh up the evidence. Reflect on what this tells you about who Jesus Christ is. And believe. Next, next, hear the risen Jesus. Hear the risen Jesus. I find it interesting that in order to believe something, you need more than cold, hard facts. Just having evidence is often not enough. I say this confidently because even though I know I'm biased, I'm confident that the evidence of Jesus' real resurrection is substantial. Uh, One scholar wrote this, the proposal that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead possesses unrivaled power to explain the historical data at the heart of early Christianity. And yet, even with this unrivaled power, this is what a recent survey showed for some Aussies. You have a little look at it there. But even with unrivaled power, 31% of Aussies don't believe and 26% aren't sure. Now, possibly it's because they have not seen the empty tomb and haven't really considered the evidence, but also it's because I think we need something more. Because in this next scene, it seems we don't simply need to see the empty tomb, but we need to hear the voice of the risen Jesus. The two disciples go home, leaving Mary alone at the tomb, and she stands outside weeping. And as she weeps, she looks into the tomb, and now she sees something new. Two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. It's not often that heavenly messages appear, uh, but when they do, they mark huge events in history. For example, Jesus' birth, a great multitude of angels broke into the earth and sung. But strangely, as these angels appear to Mary, the moment is lost on her. Seeing the angels do not bring her joy. Seeing the angels do not bring about belief. She continues to weep. Even though she sees the empty tomb, just like the disciples had before, she still cries, saying to the angels, they've taken away my Lord, I do not know where they've laid him. And then in verse 14, she turns and even sees 
Jesus. But she thinks he's just a gardener and she continues to worry for her Lord. What will cause Mary's grief to turn to joy? What will break her unbelief? What will bring her life, full life? It was one word spoken by the risen Lord Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. At this she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She hears and now she sees. Just like Jesus spoke three words to calm a storm, quiet, be still, and it was still. Just like Jesus spoke two words to his disciples, follow me, and they followed. Now Jesus says one word, Mary. And after hearing, Mary sees. I'm sure Jesus could have said other words. He could have responded to Mary saying, I'm not the gardener, I'm Jesus, I'm your Lord. But instead, he tenderly calls her by name, Mary. He knows her name. And this is not just true for Mary, this is true for you too. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the saviour of his people, knows your name. When you meet Jesus in glory, he won't awkwardly kind of look for a name tag, or he won't refer to you as mate or buddy. But like a good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, he will call you by name. The risen Lord Jesus calls you this morning by name. He desires to personally know you. And that's why cold hard facts aren't enough when it comes to Jesus. Sure, the facts bolster confidence. But in the end, Jesus did not say to Mary, Mary, let me give you seven reasons why you can trust that I'm truly the risen king. Instead, he said to Mary, Mary. Today, Jesus is calling you personally. As you read this word about him, God's word, he calls you by name. So the question is, Will you hear? Will you hear? Finally, last one, in order to get a full life, confess Jesus is your Lord and God. In the final two scenes today, Jesus appears to his disciples. First, Jesus appears to a group, uh, amongst a group of them, and he says, peace be with you, common greeting, and then shows them his hands and his side to convince them that he truly was Jesus, the one who had died but was now alive. On seeing this, the disciples were overjoyed. But there was at least one disciple who was not there. His name was Thomas. Even though he receives eyewitness testimony, they say to him, uh, even though they say to him, we have seen the Lord, rather than joy and belief, he says in verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I often react in a similar way when I hear crazy news. Uh, one of my friends at Evening Church, he told me that he caught a whiting, a fish, that was the same length as his arm. And I was like, no ways. I don't believe you. That's not true. Anyway, he ended up messaging his dad, and his dad sent him a photo. It was true. Um, my initial reaction, though, was not good. It's not the right way to receive news from a trusted friend. And it's not the sort of response God desires to the disciples' eyewitness testimony. He desires for us to hear and believe. Thomas's response to the truth, while a common human reaction, is not what God desires. And yet Jesus, in his love and his goodness, pursues Thomas. A week later, Jesus again appears to his disciples. This time, Thomas is there. And while Jesus was not physically present when Thomas called for more evidence, Jesus knows Thomas better than Thomas knows himself. 
And he says to Thomas in verse 27, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Strangely, Thomas does not touch. He doesn't need to. He sees and hears and believes. And he confesses, my Lord and my God. Thomas truly sees who Jesus is. He's not just a teacher. He's not just one of the most influential people of all history. He is Lord and God, the powerful, eternal one who conquered the grave. His resurrection confirms it. And notice that Thomas doesn't say, you are the Lord and God. He says, my Lord and my God. He acknowledges that Jesus rightly rules over his life as the risen king. Just like Jesus personally called to Mary, Thomas now personally responds to Jesus. My Lord and my God. I wonder when was the last time or if you've ever said Jesus is my Lord and my God. If you ever have, or if you try it later today, as soon as the words leave your lips, I kind of guarantee it, there is gravity. Jesus is my Lord and my God. He's not just an abstract figure that we like to discuss. He has a real and personal impact on our lives. Jesus is my Lord and my God. It's true for me. But how do you respond to seeing and hearing the risen Lord Jesus? Because you have seen the empty tomb, confirming his resurrection was the real deal. You've heard his voice calling you as one of his sheep. So how do you respond to the risen Lord Jesus? It is a life or death question. The book of John, including this word you've heard today, was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This life which Jesus offers is full life, is life that starts now, starts today, through knowing who Jesus truly is, and is life that continues into eternity, beyond death. But the heart of eternity is knowing the goodness of Jesus and living under his full and excellent reign. See, throughout the book of John, Jesus has performed a lot of miracles. He's fed hungry crowds with five loaves of bread and two fish. He's opened blind eyes. He's made the lame walk. He's raised the dead. And finally, this great miracle was his own resurrection, where he was raised to life, never to die again. These signs were there to prove that he was someone special, that he was the Christ. But also these signs are glimpses. They're glimpses of what true life is. They're glimpses of what his kingdom is like. Life in his eternal kingdom is a life where there is no hunger, where there is no sickness, no COVID, no blindness, no death. It's full life. It's good life. It's eternal life. And if you want to get at it, see the empty tomb. Hear the risen Lord Jesus and confess he is your Lord and God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and that in him was life and that life was the light of all humankind. Father, we pray that we might know Jesus as our Lord and God 
that we would see the empty tomb, that we'd hear his voice, and that we confess that he is our God and he is our Lord. And might we receive this life, this good life that endures for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.